Hey everyone, welcome to part two of this episode. If you haven't already checked out the first episode, I would highly recommend that you go and do that first. But if you've already listened to that one and you're jumping into this one now, I hope you enjoy the second half. I'm not even going to play the intro music, we're just going to get straight into it. Enjoy. So we touched on body image uh, and also briefly touched upon body composition. I think mm-hmm. we've, we've, we've touched more on the um, maybe possibly neurological concepts. So again, mood, motivation yeah. um, uh, and, and, this, and body image. The, the last few points that we had that we wanted to cover, I think kind of, I feel fall under a similar bracket in terms of effects that you could possibly feel on, on, or things that could happen to you or to someone, um, Mm -hmm. during different phases of the menstrual cycle. So I think for a lot of people, um, hunger is one of them. So not necessarily oh, yeah. feeling hungrier, although that is something that can happen, but the the difference, the fluctuation that can can happen. Mm-hmm. What is what is one of the most common things that you experience with people that you work with? Um and also again on a on a daily, regular basis. And also um I want to be careful because I don't want to phrase this in a way that makes people think that this will happen to them. Because if there's one thing f- through my limited knowledge and understanding is that, you know, everyone is quite drastically different at times. And oh, by yeah. thinking or someone telling you something that is, is going to happen, that might not be the way that you respond or that you feel. And But if you think you're going to feel that way, then you will feel that way. So by you'll create that. So what about hunger what are some of the things that can possibly someone could possibly experience um it it can go both ways to be completely honest you do see some of the responses are immediate nor like nausea basically um and people you know typically we associate nausea with an inability to eat um that is is very much a thing you know sometimes it it produces a pain response where we do see this bloating and this um, reduction in digestive processes, which means that somebody doesn't want to eat. Um, so we can see nausea as a result of that. Um, on the other side of it, from a sort of endocrinology point of view, so actually looking at fluctuations in hormones and things, kind of going back to this um, estrogen signaling, estrogen signaling, and the reduction of that during a certain phase. We can see, and again, you you made a really good point there because I am going to say this and then people are going to be like, oh, well, it's the time of the month. I can do this, this and this. We we do see sort of redu- reductions in, in leptin signaling and changes in ghrelin. So leptin and ghrelin being, you know, they're typically classified as the hunger hormones, but it's something that drives appetite and blunt appetite potentially. So leptin being this sort of, the brakes, if you will, and ghrelin being the accelerator. And we do see leptin signaling reduce sort of during this luteal phase. So typically when somebody's, it's it's when progesterone starts to creep up. So 
in in the graph you've got the follicular phase and the luteal phase and the progesterone starts to come up like this and if the 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 gap between the follicular and luteal phases is like that this this line down the middle progesterone really shoots up and when progesterone shoots up that's when we start to see typically again this is in some individuals not everybody we we do tend to see leptin signal and decrease so as that progesterone jumps up so towards the end of the follicular phase and, and towards the start of the luteal phase which in theory and in application would mean that appetite is increased or your actual ability to put the brakes on how full you are is inhibited so i typically call it the blurring of satiation um, so your actual ability to tap into when you are satiated. So if a meal, let's say um, your your typical dinner, maybe smack bang in the middle of a follic- follicular phase, very much satiates you, you are full, you are satisfied, you can go to bed, you're good. Shift that to the start of the luteal phase. You finish your dinner, you're still ravenous you know full well that that meal can actually satiate you in a different period of that month. It's actually just the ability to put the brakes on the appetite. So your ability to actually cue into when you're satiated and bear in mind, the volume of the meal hasn't changed. So the volume and the capacity of the stomach hasn't changed and you're still actually getting that muscular feedback within the stomach and that actual ability to, to provide the contractions at the stomach and, you know, actually have the capacity filled in the same way. It's just that, oh, am I am I still hungry? Am, am I going to keep going? We kind of have this blur or this sort of block on keep going. Like we, we just, we just want to keep going and keep going and keep going. And again, I find with individuals who are very in tune. So a lot of my clients, you know, we do have very specific nutrition strategies and maybe their nutrition strategy hasn't changed from week to week, but what has changed is they've come on their period or they're, they're sort of transitioning into this luteal phase. They'll say, do you know what? My appetite's through the roof this week. And then the penny will drop and they'll go, oh, I'm due on. So it's not necessarily that they act on it. It's just they're aware of it. And I think it really depends person to person. And there's lots of different things that you can do as a result of it. Um you know, some coaches place more food during that phase to sort of prevent people. People say it's to prevent binge eating and to prevent sort of overindulgence before they, they get like negative feedback of feeling sick because they've overeaten and things. Um, But you really have to work with the person. You have to ensure that the strategy that you put in place for that phase is conducive to what the person needs so often it's not actually an increase in food at all sometimes it's an external cue about the speed at which they eat their meal so you actually produce the headspace and the cognitive space for them to be able to really tap in to their leptin and their their ability to know whether they're satiated or not so you don't necessarily need to go like oh it's that time of the week we're going to pop a little bit more food in now because it does become that self-fulfilling prophecy and you start doing that and then people come to expect it and then they go oh well I'm really really hungry this week so I'm gonna have more and there's really there's nothing wrong with it you know if that's what you need again there's nothing wrong you're not inherently a bad person for wanting more food that week and some you know the body is very good at queuing when they want additional things but I think having a strategy in place where you sit and you 
make peace with a decision or you actually think about what you want out of this meal. So you just take a moment to give yourself space um, before you actually consume the meal and what you want out of the meal is incredibly important because your ability to bring awareness to these, this manipulation of endocrinology is arguably more valuable than your ability to put more food in a nutrition strategy. You know, if, if you then make the space for that food and you know, you finish it and you did take your time with it and you allow it to hit, you know, hit the stomach and all that kind of thing. And you are still hungry. You then make a decision. Do you want to eat again? Do you not want to eat again? Are you are you happy to ride out the hunger and maybe see how you feel as a result of that? You know, there's there's so many different ways that you can do it, but that's kind of the the two main ones I would say. You either see digestive issues and then as a as a result you see like nausea, or you see people go ravenous. And there's a lot of gifts and stuff like that where it's like me six days out of the week, and it's like meat and veg. And then it's like day seven when my period hits and it's like pizzas and burgers and stuff like that. Like those sort of images on social media doesn't really help. I would say it's in an, ex- you know, to an extent it's normalizing the behavior and that's not a bad thing. I think normalizing the fact that women do have additional cravings and, you know, we do see going back to the dopamine and the serotonin, the reduction in that signal and of the dopamine and the serotonin can actually increase the likelihood and the the desire of these foods that may typically be associated with dopamine. But in, by normalizing that behavior, do we then sort of reside ourselves to becoming a victim of it? You know, right. it's quite an interesting one because it's like, oh, is it, you know, is it a good thing that we're talking about this? And, you know, it's normal for you to crave these things and go and do it. Or are we actually planting this seed of I'm on my period today when really you wouldn't have been an individual that actually had that endocrinology response in the first place. You've you've actually fulfilled this yourself because you've seen it on a meme. Right. You've actually touched on something there that I it sounds so simple saying it out loud. Um, this idea that especially going with what you said earlier um, with regards to, you know, feeling good hormones and motivational hormones being lower. Um, so therefore it makes sense that we would hunt out things that normally boost our mood and let's face it, Mm -hmm. food in general is, is one of those generally, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's just made that, that kind of link in my brain to go, well, it makes sense then that you would hunt out, especially hyper palatable foods that generally provide the, the, the biggest you know, emotional response. And again, translating that into anyone who, who sort of maybe listening this idea that like, and again, coming to, to what you've just said, you feeling that way and maybe turning to food for an emotional boost when you're naturally feeling a bit lower is normal. Like it makes sense. Yeah, whether you use that as an excuse, uh, an excuse, or like you say, become a victim to it, or you put in, in, you know, um, things in place to help maybe blunt that. I just again think that this awareness, right, and knowing that, like, oh God, that's why I do that. Again, it's not self. It's not because I'm useless at exerting self control. I'm not a shit human being, you know, because I'm. And oh, how come everyone else can can control themselves, but I can't? It's like no you're in a position where this is 
naturally more difficult for you right now. And you're going to turn to these things because let's face it, our brain knows that that sugar and fat bomb right there is going to pump some feel good hormones into my body. And of course you would then look for that, right? As a almost mm-hmm. to, to some degree as an evolutionary, even here, yeah, evolutionary response that or one, a response yeah. just because you don't like feeling like crap and you want to feel better. So yeah. at that point, your body's like, can I have some serotonin, please? What other things yeah. around me that I can do to do that? Right. But then you could using that, you could um, that way of thinking you could go, OK, well, is there other forms of serotonin boosting activities around me? And this is one of the interventions that as coaches, I, th- I think, and I, I would like to hear your, your input on this, but that you, that you use. So when someone says, I have a problem with turning to food for emotional eating, and just to preface this with, I am not an emotional eating expert, I, I'm not someone whose main focus is that. But one of the ways to help with that is you go, is there other other activities and other things that I can do that will provide me with that serotonin and make me feel better so that I do not turn to food to fulfill that need? You know, again, not that there's any issue with, with eating um, or feeling good because you're eating because food is one of the joys of life, right? But it's like most things, if it becomes a reliance, if like that is the thing, is that if that's the only thing that you turn to when you're feeling down, that's when it gets a little bit, okay, is there anything else that you can do? You know, meditation, doing something that you in, in, mm-hmm. enjoy, a hobby, surrounding yourself with friends and loved ones so that yeah. you don't turn to what could possibly be a destructive behavior. Let's face it, because if you are turning to junk on a frequent basis, if it happens every few weeks, bloody fill your boots do you know what i mean it's like most things it's not about the thing itself it's the frequency if it's chronic if you're chronically turning to food and and non-nutritious food and food that could possibly be and i hate bouncing this word around but inflammatory or you know Mm -hmm. isn't exactly the best thing for you and that's consistent that's when it's a problem and it's that constant reliance of it that you want to start working your your way away from um would you say that interventions such as doing other things is one of the possible ways that you can people can help with that if they are turning to I know that this is now turning into an emotional eating uh, thing but no but not it's in, a part you're right though way. it does all yeah it, it all plays a part and it's I, I and I don't class myself as an emotional eating expert either but it is still science and it's still application so your ability to provide a strategy where they can take this sort of internalized focus on the only thing that provides dopamine which as you said can become a a really destructive behavior is a tool that we can use And, and myself particularly again as a performance coach I'm talking about enhancing someone's performance neurologically physically mentally all of these things and providing them with behaviors outside of of um their meal times is is incredibly important because if you know we do have this focus on the one thing that provides them joy then all of the behaviors outside of that meal window and that like meal time becomes incredibly destructive as well so we've already got this destructive behavior where the only thing that sparks joy is the meal time and then 
everything else outside of that is destructive because it doesn't spark joy. So it's like, lose-lose, I'm miserable all of the time because I, I'm either looking forward to food or it doesn't, you know what I mean? It's You don't create space for other things in your life to, to provide you with this emotional response. Um, and I think something that I try and do with all of my clients is, and I'm, I'm probably going to paraphrase this really, really terribly, but it's something that somebody called Andrew Triana coined, and it's, you want to live as much of your life as a monk as possible. So the two hours of your day where you train, you are like a, a, a maniac. You go as hard as, as balls. The, the 22 hours outside of that, you are grateful for every single thing that you have. You approach things rationally. You are level-headed. You are compassionate. You think about things in a respectable way. And that can be applied to mealtimes as well. So yes, you enjoy your food, but you know there are things outside of food that can bring you joy and that you can enjoy and be grateful for and be peaceful about. So your ability to kind of enjoy things outside of mealtimes, that in itself can make a difference to headspace. That can make a difference to how well you are able to neurologically utilize something that can make a difference to how well you flux dopamine outside of training and outside of mealtimes that can make a difference to how well you flux dopamine within training and within mealtimes which just becomes this big cascade of of beneficial things so being able to be grateful for things outside of a mealtime actually in turn makes you more grateful for the mealtimes themselves and none of those things in turn become destructive because then you just become this grateful and and happy person who isn't living meal to meal and dependent on that for some kind of spark of like oh it's time for food you know you just keep adding on layers to it and it's like god i'm in such a good mood i'm having such a great time oh and i get to eat soon you know it, it's it's this amazing positive feedback loop rather than fuck me i have to wait three hours until my next meal how on earth am i going to cope because my existence is solely based around the fact that i can have a meal in three hours like right. that shift in approach to things is 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 paramount and someone's ability to to not live meal to meal is is incredibly important in my eyes from a performance aspect and from a, a well-being aspect as well within general population clients well would you because that's again something really interesting that i've never thought about but i guess if 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 food is one of your primary drivers of of serotonin feel good and like you say you're like god when's my my next meal when that contrast is so extreme between you know the rest of your life not really much and then you eat and it's really good would would you say that then then we're more likely to hunt for extremes for like that strong serotonin boost so the only way that i can describe this is the the more normal and more more kind of like yeah i like food it's great and i have my moments where i over you know i i have my indulgences and yes. stuff but generally i have food that i enjoy a lot of the time every when you when that becomes a lot more normal you it's so much then easier to eat almost like bland quote-unquote foods yeah absolutely like not, not bland as in boring like it's really crap 
but well, you're, more typical they're so food. simple and they're so yeah. quick to throw together, but you enjoy them because yeah. it's almost like there's more of a consistent state and because you, mm-hmm. you're just like, this is normal because I can have something that I enjoy at any point. I can, I include things that I enjoy in every meal. So instead of these big dopamine rushes that I'm searching for, I don't need yeah. that so much. It was just an interesting thought of of contrasting those periods of eating to the rest of your life and how maybe if someone is, mm-hmm. you know, the rest of your life is not the rest of your life. That's very grand. That's a very big picture to paint. But if yeah, you don't have other day. things going on but, that yes. bring you joy and then you've got these these brief moments in the day that you're like, oh my God, finally serotonin. It's like anything, right? There's this build up and this like, now I have to go to an extreme because it's this moment. Yeah. And also this, maybe this idea, because it's something that I've reflected on recently when I look back on one of my first cuts that I did, this idea of your brain and your body going, you might not get, get this again soon. This might be your last enjoyable that, that's meal. It's, it's that like, oh, you need to, you need so to go, you need hard to go on all out. Like the, that's it this needs to be the best meal of my life kind of thing and it's in in that respect like you say you you search for bigger dopamine hits and then that becomes a destructive behavior in itself because at some point that meal isn't going to be enough so you got a one-up it treadmill isn't you got a one-up and that's when we have this sort yeah yeah and it's this you know destructive behavior where you know maybe binge eating per se becomes a very normalized behavior because that is what you need or so you believe that is the extent of food and the variety of food that you need to feel this hit of dopamine. But then you get all the complications afterwards. So you get the digestive issues and you get the nausea and all these other things. So, you know, establishing a, a, a balance, I hate the word balance, but an, establishing a balance between how frequent and how big the hits are is incredibly important as well. Yeah, absolutely. It was just a thought that, um, that popped right. into my mind it was really interesting um so we've touched a bit on the whole hunger thing and that it can sway either way it can you know it can drop it can increase um again and i'll probably drop this in throughout just as a reminder depending on where someone is in this podcast but i think from my again knowledge and my understanding is it's important that people uh pay attention to their own cycle and how their body responds and feels and whether it's actually an issue or not rather than being oh i'm just going to assume that at this point this response is going to happen uh to me um and just also not getting annoyed by it like your your body is doing this thing it's going through a process right um and it's a normal thing so yeah you know don't don't get annoyed by it um like like you say (laughs) there are certain interventions uh, certain interventions that you can do if you so wish so for example talking about hunger Mm -hmm. one you know again some people will be like i know i just need a little bit more food also it's i think it's important to because this is something that not blew my mind necessarily but was interesting was the idea of you know, the reason why you feel hungrier as well is because your your BMR, so your basal metabolic rate, which is the energy your body uses just to kind of keep you alive, right, on a day-to-day basis, 
increases during certain periods of your period <laughs> of the menstrual cycle. And so the reason why you feel hungrier is because you're literally using more energy. And I thought that was just a really simple way of being like, oh, of course, well, then that makes sense, right? If my body is by default using more energy, yeah, and this it. is the reason why I feel hungrier, one of the reasons possibly why I feel hungrier, well, there we go. And and like, and as we were talking about interventions, or not interventions, because that almost sounds like we're getting in the way, we've got to stop this from happening. Yeah, but yeah. Possible things to, to, to help or to cope if it is an issue. Um, one of them is, again, increasing calories, right? Uh, you can do do the, doing this in a couple of ways. I've definitely spoken to people who have said, all I need is an extra slice of toast, like, or a banana. And that mm -hmm. sorts me right out. Like it stops the, it, it, it just gives me that little bit of extra um, that I need to help. For other people, it might be a case of, you know, you don't try and diet or you don't try and necessarily cut during that phase and i think this is probably more important for uh general you know general population if you are an athlete who has a very specific goal in mind you're probably more of the mindset where you you'll just be like i'm going to try and power through this or you might make slight changes but for a lot of people the possibility of just going do you know what i'll i'll stick to maintenance or a smaller deficit during this time that doesn't mean that you've undone all the work that you have done or that you're going to stop it from happening or, you know, it just means that for that period, when if you if you know personally that you do get significantly hungrier during that time, pop in a few few more hundred calories like it's not going to destroy your progress. And then you're not going to be beating your head against the wall and beating yourself up, which is f for me in my my mind going to damage you more than you coming back to maintenance for a week or so and then going back down to your cut when you're in a much better position that's suited to doing it right like if you're going through that week and you're trying to just beat against this wall being like i'm trying my hardest to stick to my deficit when my body is burning more calories and i'm hungrier that's going to take a lot out of you um physically and and mentally and just kind of is unnecessary i think for a lot of people i could be wrong you might be the you you might say no just just deal with it like <laughs> it depends on the person honestly yeah. your approach to dealing with something needs to be person dependent as is the menstrual cycle for every person it's person dependent therefore the approach has to change as a result of that yeah absolutely nice um so We've touched on a fair few things. Uh, training, I think, was one of the last key ones. One of the ones that mm -hmm. I definitely get asked about. Um, I think as well, we, we put some feelers out with regards to questions that people had. And this was definitely one that cropped up. So I'll leave this one open to you. What are your experiences? What does the literature say? Um personal experiences again with regards to training around different phases of the the menstrual cycle this one's a really really interesting one because honestly i don't know if you are expecting the answer that i'm going to give 
Oh, I don't know. I don't know. And so I'll start with the literature. There's a really, really good meta-analysis. And there's a lot of memes and stuff like that where people are like, oh, you get weaker during this phase and you get stronger during this phase and stuff. And yes, there are periods where in theory that is true. You know, and, and anecdotally, again, you know, I have seen women typically struggle with their strength or whatever. The the only mechanism I'm going to mention here is this circulatory response where, you know, we obviously have this increased blood flow to that region. And that therefore means that, yeah, you're probably not going to have as an effect, like an effective and strong contraction due to that circulatory process. You know, typically it's not going to be as good to the, uh, the intended muscle group. So that let's park that. that that's my, my first point. Okay. So this, this meta-analysis, it looks at so many studies. And the thing with literature is you could very, very easily pick a study that cements your point very, very easily. So if I wanted to just look at the studies that maybe half of the studies that are in this meta-analysis, I could say with confidence that the literature, li- the literature suggests that during this phase, you are weaker and during this phase, you are stronger. However, the meta-analysis essentially concludes there's no difference. It does not impact training. Now, we know that there are women who typically do experience this. So my rule is do not make any decisions on training volume, on training intensity, on training days until you have worked with the individual for two to three menstrual cycles. Or, That's or pe- three months. Or, or would you say that if people are tracking their own, so obviously some uh, there's uh, the yes. context of working as a coach, but then for, for people themselves, would you say that is something that people should should look at and maybe track? And, and how would they, what's, what's a, like a good way of doing that? Yes. So the, the way that I do it as a coach and the way that I think individuals could do it, look at the week leading up to when you would typically come on your period. Have a look at, let's say we maintain volume and things like that. Have a look at general headspace around the gym. You know how you feel about it, your general performance. Do you feel like you could push things to failure? Do you feel like you struggled? The week that you are on your period, look at the same. Track that for three cycles. If you find that there is a trend, so let's say um, the week leading up to your period, yeah, week is piss. Consistently, you really struggle to hit the numbers that you don't hit before the menstrual cycle, for example. Do you like that one? Week is piss. I did, I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought you did. If, if I do put this out as a video podcast, people will know how much I was cracking up, but for anyone just listening. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on. That was interesting. Week is piss. No, no, not at all. Um, so let's say in the, in the week leading up to that, you're a lot weaker than you are typically in that particular session, let's say. The week during, the opposite, whatever it may be. I, as a coach, don't make any changes to training during that those kind of that two week period um i look at the data and i look at trends with an individual around that and i i encourage women to do the same because 
it's all well and good having a plan in place and you know we we do see it and you know i i really really disagree with it but we do see people market plans of training around your period and they are generalized plans and that to me is the biggest waste of money in the world like what a fucking waste of time you've got absolutely no idea how you're going to respond and you need to n equals one okay n equals one and that is your sample size equals one and that one is you you need to know how you respond during different phases of your period so you buying a plan that tells you to push harder during one week and not during the other is horseshit and you fucking bin it because your data is the most valuable data set you're ever going to fucking get and you look at your own response to your own training, whether that is um, you you really struggle to push to failure because of the discomfort around the midsection or during that week where you're due on, you do have this bloating of the lower abdomen and therefore it really affects your brace and your actual ability to maintain rigidity at the, at the core. That's just an example. Maybe that is the reason that your power output reduces. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's to do with how much your estrogen reduces so that estrogen signal that i was talking about maybe it's to do with that and that's one of the proposed theories and one of the proposed mechanisms but the truth is everybody's menstrual cycle is different so if we had one plan for one menstrual cycle okay times it by 50 because the variations across menstrual cycles is fucking huge so my advice is do not make any snap decisions take three cycles worth of data act on it after three cycles and I never ever with a client make any changes to a program or an approach until I've got some clients it's two if they've come to me and said typically around if they've maybe worked with somebody before or they're very in tune with things and that they're a certain type of personality then maybe it's two but typically three cycles I make a decision on it bottom line don't believe any blanket statement that you read you take your own data and you act on it based on how you feel. And that is pretty much what the meta-analysis says as well. Like there's no sort of consistent pattern with it just because there's so much difference between each individual. So you can't really, you should, well, it's not that you can't, you shouldn't really give these blanket statements of I'm stronger during this phase and weaker during this phase. Like you can periodize it and yeah, it can work. You can have this sort of cyclical approach where you increase intensity at this weekend and it can work for the individual sure but you don't know that it's going to work for you so just take the data and act on it i feel like that's almost such a wonderful place to sum up and end because uh yeah would you agree that that statement with regards to you know tracking your data tracking how you feel, how you respond applies to everything that we've spoken about? Yeah. I mean, honestly, you could you could name this podcast training considerations around the men- menstrual cycle N equals one. Because the only thing that matters, yeah, the only thing that matters is how you respond to it. It doesn't matter how your friend responds to it if your friend doesn't get hungry during that phase okay good for them maybe they have something else maybe they get really really bad cramp 
Maybe you don't get the cramp. Maybe you get the nausea. Maybe you are really, really good at sort of parking the thought of the reduction in motivation and you are just into such a good routine and it's just habit for you to go to the gym that you don't even think about that. But maybe somebody else that you don't know really, really struggles mentally with the idea that the thing that sparks joy in their life doesn't spark as much joy during five days of their life. There's literally so many different combinations here and the only one that fucking matters is the one that's happening to you right now. So anybody that tries to sell you a program that reduces a very, very complex biological process down to you're stronger this week, you're weaker this week, you're going to be hungry this week, you're going to not be very hungry this week, is a fucking muppet. Round of applause, please. (laughs) (laughs) Again, for anyone listening, there was a a signal for a mic drop there. Um, Just because it's popped into my head, um, with with regards to the training side of things, how would you... um, how would you have someone or how should someone work with those fluctuations if they do have it for most people would it just be a case of just kind of do what you would normally and and just be prepared that you won't be as strong um or you Um... might not be as strong or you might be stronger and just go with the flow of how you're feeling on that day or would you would you and, and we're talking about sort of general you know, general population sort of strength training or mm-hmm. or exercise? So from an application standpoint, there's a lot of different ways that you can take this. And I think you need to look at all of the aspects that we've talked about. So talking about the, the cognitive standpoint, talking about the power output, talking about the physical sensations. Um, something that you can do and something that I do with some of my clients, you can either get very specific in what the goal is within the session. So let's say um, an individual performs something at 50 kilos for seven reps. You can specify like you are going to go in the gym, you're going to do the same load. I want you to hit seven reps. I want you to hit, so like maintenance, or I want you to hit eight reps. And that's all you've got to do. Sometimes giving somebody the opposite. So, you know, I want you to, to kind of hit this bracket. So this range offers a positive benefit as well because that allows them not to fixate on one number and it gives them a little bit of headspace to do whatever it is they're capable of. Some people don't cope well with that at all because that to them blurs their actual ability because they've got this rep range where they're like, oh, I don't know where I'm going to fall in it. So you actually produce a negative effect as a result. So sometimes getting specific is great. Sometimes getting generalized Mm -hmm. is great. The thing that I would encourage females to do during a period where they want to work with their period is set their intention of the session before they get to the gym. So before you get there, you're not floundering. You're not going like, oh, well, I do have to remember they're on my period. Set the intention and what you want to get out of it. So when you go to the gym, do you, you, do you just want to train? You don't care if you hit failure. You don't care if you hit your numbers that you hit previously. You set the expectation and you make peace with it. So expectation, make peace with it. As for training around the period, I am a big advocate of progression across several modalities. 
I would say if you are typically an individual, again, this is a very, very generalized comment. If you're typically an individual who struggles with, let's say, power output during the menstrual cycle, uh, like during maybe when you're actually on your period, look at a different variable. Look at something like workout density. If you are struggling with the idea of being in the gym or you're struggling with power output or whatever that is, or whatever it is that is is maybe falling as a result of being on your period, maybe try and get your session over and done with quicker. Maybe perform exactly the same as you did the previous week and just progress in another modality. Maybe increase the workout density to get more work done in a shorter period of time. That isn't necessarily going to compromise power output. You know, there's a lot of literature to suggest that you can reduce rest periods and, and perform in a similar sort of intensity. Some people can't deal with that, but look for progression in another respect. Maybe um, your execution can really improve during that that period, pun intended. You know, you can mm-hmm. not look at progressing set numbers in Lord, thank you, but you can look at your execution. You can maybe look at the neurological aspect and the mind muscle connection of something maybe you typically really really struggle to connect with your quads on a leg press maybe you can spend that time rewiring a neurological process where you all you think about is how you actually activate the quad during that press and then you've got a very very different style of progression out of the session that maybe it wouldn't be placed particularly well within another session so maybe on a day where you do feel really really strong all you want to focus on is pumping up those numbers and you're confident that you're actually performing the movement consistently so when you're in a position where you can't produce as much force so maybe you can't increase that power output you focus on your execution and you focus on how that movement feels and replicating that sensation that you focused really really hard on in those sessions where you actually increase power output. So set the expect again, set the expectation and make peace with it. If you are on your way to the gym and you're like, fuck me, I feel weak as I feel really weak today. I feel like everything's heavy, like my arms feel heavy, walking's knackering me out. Okay. Make peace with the fact that maybe you're not going to be as strong today and make your reps beautiful. Make them uniform. Think about how this movement is going to, you know, whatever the, the goal is of the session, maybe you're trying to increase the hypertrophy of the quads. Think about how this is increasing the hypertrophy of the quads. You know, I, I, I use a lot of um, visualization techniques and breathing techniques. Maybe close your eyes. Think about how you actually utilize in the quad during this movement. Where can you feel it? How do your reps look? You know, film your sets, maybe think about the execution of it. You don't necessarily have to pump up numbers in every single respect. So when it comes to working with your period, make note of how you feel. Again, if you've collected this data over the ne- over the, the three periods, go, okay, typically I'm, I'm not as strong during this session. Okay, cool. That can be a skill acquisition session where you refine everything that you do. So when you come into these periods where you don't have this reduction in power output, you can execute everything perfectly because you actually dedicated time to it and you're able to replicate that with higher loads and as a result you get more of a hypertrophic response within the quad muscle so that session that could have been completely wasted because you were unable to increase that power output and progress progressively overload the session you've just made the subsequent sessions 
even better because you actually were able to get something out of the session because you set the intention and you made peace with it. Right. Going to get that on a t-shirt. There are (laughs) just a picture of you doing this. Right. Yeah. Because like you say, there are many ways to progress. It's so easy to, I think, especially early days to think, oh, I just have to just, just go all out and that's it. Right. If I'm not exerting myself to my maximum capacity, uh, maximum capacity then I'm not exercising or I'm not working out whereas what you grow to realize is that like you say there is there is skill acquisition there's volume there's heavy loads and sometimes like just going to the gym and moving your body and having especially if we're talking about strength training and resistance training having that still provides you with a whole host of benefits, even if it's not your most fantastic session. Like you don't have to just be pushing progress all the time. And in fact, someone's progress might be going to the gym more consistently. So even if you go and you're like, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to lower the weights a little bit and I'm going to take a bit more time. I'm going to maybe get a bit more of a squeeze. I'm going to I'm going to really focus on what it feels like to move my body, how my body moves for me, how it allows me to make these movements. And I'm not even going to push it. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to feel the blood moving through my body. That yeah. is, that's still a good session. I think this is where maybe our, the goals of our clients and the clients that we work with are different. You generally work with people who are always mm-hmm. like, who want that progression, right? Like that's their, pri- that's a priority. Yeah. Um, Whereas for myself, the people that I often work with are the people who are sort of more getting started. And so it's like not every session has to be driving, 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 driving. Like remember that also exercise can be an expression of love or joy or happiness of moving, of moving your body. Like, that can be an it can be an enjoyment as of itself like you can do it just because moving your body and feeling that contraction and feeling that blood going through is enjoyable and if that means taking a lighter session because then you get the benefits of afterwards right you feel good because you've moved your body you are then pumped full of feel-good hormones which then means you're probably more likely to treat yourself better after the session eat well, sleep well, feel better when you're around loved ones and friends and family. Like not every session has to be about, you know, ideally you will progress over time, but shit sessions happen as well. Like, and it's okay to tap into your, your be aware, tap into the awareness of yourself and be like, I know myself now that realistically this isn't maybe going to be a great day. Sometimes it it turns out the other way. Sometimes you feel like absolute crap and you have a banging session. But also being able to go, do you know what? Today just going to move. Going to enjoy that yeah. movement. I'm going to I'm going to bre- I'm going to focus on my breathing almost using well yeah, to some extent using it as a meditative practice and just being like because mm-hmm. I know that I'm going to feel good afterwards that is a perfectly legitimate reason for still going into the gym and in the context of what we're talking about the menstrual cycle just being like I can feel it I can feel that today is not going to be my strongest session and like you say I think making peace with it is such a nice phrase and just being like good that's fine 
I'm okay with this because now my my barrier, my bar for success or my goal for success in this session is different. Instead of not being able to drive the numbers up like I would normally and then coming away feeling deflated, I can see that I'm feeling a little bit weaker today. So now I'm going to I'm going to change my goal. My goal for this session is to enjoy moving my body. And then when you come out, you're going to feel good for doing so rather than I'm a failure, which then has a shitty knock on effect. That's it. Is there anything that you would like to add on this subject or anything at all before we wrap up? It's just that we have covered a lot and this always happens. We We say that we're going to keep this nice and um i think we did well it's only an hour and 30 minutes that's pretty good for us you know for anyone who doesn't know myself and sophie used to do um a podcast it's they're still up there uh called platts beans and pbs um and yeah they were a lot longer form and um it's just because it's really interesting right like i love i love chatting yeah we we just love it about these things and although we have a similar interest the the people that we work with mm-hmm. and what we focus on tends to be a little bit different um especially with your scientific background mm-hmm. um so yeah the 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 discussions end up going on on end up going on for quite a while um but there's so much that we've covered there we are looking to do another part to this maybe going to into more specifics we wanted to keep this one a little bit more general uh, for some of the main mm-hmm. i think questions and uh, questions that we get or or things that people struggle with um people that are both athletes and non-athletes because these do affect both both parties right Absolutely. um so in another episode we might go into again things that are a bit more specific but if you have nothing else to add sophie or just be kind to be Dr. just Scott. be kind to yourself Mm. sounds good doesn't it yeah. yeah just be kind to yourself make set the intention make peace with it you know <laughs> nice i'm gonna screenshot that and put it onto a t-shirt yeah, yeah. so <laughs> any uh, again great to chat really lovely having you on and i hope we get to do it again yeah thank you for having soon. me on this is this um, is my oh, kind of, of friday night before i forget where can people find you Oh, um, not physically. That's I, creepy. Um, here's my address. Um, <laughs> I'm rubbish on social media, but I'm getting better. Um, so I would say the best place to catch me is on Instagram. It's at Platts underscore PBs. Um, probably not worth finding me on Facebook. Probably not worth like finding me anywhere that? else. So I'd probably... yes, P L A I T S underscore pbs that's papa bravo sierra wonderful or as i once said on the phone because i just completely forgot what it was i was on the phone to an insurance provider and she went was that b for bravo and i went no p for pineapple (laughs) (laughs) i just couldn't remember what it was and she went p for papa and i was like aye that one (laughs) pineapple I just couldn't remember it. I mean, why not? Just pay for pineapple. And she went, all right. <laughs> Whoops. So. But yes, Platts underscore PVs. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, yeah, I think that's everything. I uh, hope that everyone has found that informative and useful. 
please, please, please feel free to send either of us questions or chat to us about this stuff. Um, we find it super interesting and yeah, we hope that it has been enlightening and enjoyable for you to listen to. Until next time. That's that's Sophie saying goodbye for anyone who can't see that. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> see you later, everyone. Goodbye.